Welcome to this Ashall Media Podcast, supporting a growing community of financial advisors. Welcome everyone to the Rockhold Podcast channel. Today I'm going to be chatting with John Reynolds. Uh, John is uh, an economist and an investment strategist, and indeed chair of the Alpha Beta Investment Committee, uh, joined by Asin Javid, who is the senior investment manager. Uh, we're going to be chatting about a whole delight of, of topics, including Ukraine, inflation, quantitative tightening, bond yields, and whether or not we should sell in May and go away. Uh, without any further ado, let's get going. Morning, John. Morning, Asim. Good morning. Morning, Andrew. Morning, guys. So, guys, you, you've recently cut US equity exposure. Uh, timing seems to have been extremely uh, extremely good. So um, congrats on that and, and well done on behalf of the investors. Um, can you just recap for us why you chose to do that, you know, that particular point in time, please, Asim? Right. So equities appear to be in consolidation since the start of this year. Um, and again, this is a lot to do with the, the live risk in the market, which is um, inflation issues and slowdown expectations and also the live geopolitical risk. Um, now, what we did towards the end of March was that we cut uh, our U.S. exposure, uh, just to be prudent, uh, we cut U- U- U.S. exposure into strength. Um, and we expected the market to take a little bit off because of the consolidation theme that's already in there. Um, and also to add in that, we, I mean, as we move forward in the year, um, earnings momentum uh, was expected to fade away. And also the, the inflation slowdown story is also taking hold. Um, so I think that was a, was a good timing um, when we cut those, that US exposure. And obviously, as, as we move forward into, uh, into Q2, we're also looking at what do we do with the next um, uh, allocation or, or, the, or, or the equities exposure. Okay. John, anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I think uh, seems covered the, the major points. Obviously, the, the risk profile of the market certainly changed. Um, you know, the, the UK rules exacerbated the hit to growth expectations, exacerbated the near term hit to the inflation picture and added to all of that. Obviously, um, you know, we, we're now talking about how many rate, rights we, rate hikes we're going to get this year from the Fed uh, and other central banks around the world. So, yeah, the risk had certainly risen. And um, so I think it was prudent following the bounce to um, uh, in the in the US market in March to, to t- shave a little bit more off. Clearly, we're seeing quite a bit of renewed weakness now um, as we sort of um, um, over the last uh, over the last few days. And of course, the issue now uh, surrounds once again, further, 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 further prolonged nature of the sort of conflict in Ukraine um, with the disruption to gas pipelines now uh, being affected into Poland, etc. And so it's sort of it's lingering around for a little bit longer and exacerbating the concerns, uh, both on inflation uh, and on interest rates and on growth. So I think um, timing was good. The one the sort of one thing that's been sort of um, important in all of this for asset allocation, of course, has been currency movements. And, you know, in Q1, one of the things that we benefited from was the strength of the dollar, the ongoing strength of the dollar. And that sort of continues to be the case. And uh, as we've mentioned many times before, in periods of heightened uncertainty um, uh, and particularly geopolitical risk, 
money tends to go back to the US uh, and out of emerging markets and out of other markets. And that has been a has been a major factor in our thinking. So it's one of the reasons why we didn't want to go too early, uh, come out of the US too early, because we we're very much aware that the dollar would remain strong. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's a, that's a key factor. The other, obviously, the flip side of that is that um, more recently, we've seen a you know, renewed sterling weakness, and we've seen particularly weakness in the euro, but we'll come back to those in a, in a few minutes. Yeah, thanks. A very good point on, on currency and the dollar there in particular. So one other output, I guess, is rising bond yields. You know, we, we've seen um, the sort of bond phenomenon be beginning to un unfold a little bit, uh, by which I mean rising bond yields, reducing capital values. What does that mean to um, lower risk strategies, which, you know, typically structurally would have greater levels of fixed income? How are we navigating that in our lower risk strategies, Asim? So, um, right. So, okay. So, fixed income exposure, as you mentioned, it's uh, it's um, higher in, in the lower risk strategies, and hence they are more uh, exposed to duration risk. Um, this is something which we've been looking at for almost, I think, more, more than a year now, um, where we, we started cutting the duration, so coming down the duration ladder. Um, and if you look at our, our duration numbers, they are very much towards the short end of the year curve. Now, the problem with all of these strategies is that you can't sit in cash, um, obviously. So you still have to be in the fixed income uh, side of things. So what you can do is lower your credit exposure and lower your duration exposure. And that's, those are the two things which we have done uh, over the last uh, few quarters. Um, from the duration point, I think we are sitting at a very nice um, sort of uh, area in, on the duration or yield curve. Um, but I think one of the things which we are also thinking is that as we move forward into the year and Q2, Q2, Q3, Q4, and this, this slowdown narrative takes hold, and as we move forward with the, with the rate rise and one policy tightening, um, we expect the, 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 the long end of the yield curve to start getting a, little, a, a bit of an ask uh, in terms of the, um, the total value. So that means the yield curve uh, or, or, or the yields on the long end of the yield curve should start coming down a little bit. Um, and that's where we expect to change the duration um, sort of strategy. So for now, I think we are we are rightly exposed to the short end of the yield curve. Um, I, I think a point to make over here is that the markets are expecting a terminal Fed rate of somewhere around three-ish percent, uh, which is in line with what we had in 2018. So it's not um, many miles away from, from what it was previously. Obviously, we've gone through period of um, a lot of uh, fiscal stimulus and also monetary stimulus. So that is having an impact. Um, now, as we move forward and inflation, and I think John will touch upon this um, on, on, on the inflation side of things, um, the, the inflation numbers uh, currently what we see in the break-even numbers are also affected by an exogenous shock, which is the current nature of this conflict uh, and, and the food basket getting affected, the commodity basket getting affected. Um, and all of that feeds into what you have your break-even numbers, and then you have your your inflation expectations, bond yields. Um, but having said all of that, the bond yields and the terminal rates, especially the terminal rates, are pretty much pegged to around 2018 level. Um, and as we move forward, we'll see what happens with the long end of the yield curve as we move forward in Q3 and Q4. Okay, thanks. So, John, bond yields, any further thoughts? 
It's been quite a comprehensive cover there from uh, Asim, but uh, just to add that, uh, you know, from a fundamental point of view, if, uh, if, if your long-term inflation expectation um, is somewhere around about two and a half to three, which is where it's sort of the range it's currently in for the market for longer-term yields, um, you'd expect a little bit of an inflation risk premium in there as well. So don't don't be surprised if um, before you know we're through all of this uh, movement over the uh, you know rate rises over the next few months that ten year US yields potentially could push up into that three three and a half range. Uh, it's not inconceivable that they could could temporarily push higher uh, from a theoretical point of view. It's perfectly possible, particularly you know now that you know we're moving into a period of QT you know quantitative tightening. So, um, you know, we don't have this, you know, we're going to have, um, we're going to have, um, we won't have the central bank in them anymore sort of supporting this compression of yields, which has, you know, been part of, uh, you know, the, the last uh, prolonged period of time, you know, post, you know, the last 10 years or so, which has been a very supportive factor for, for US bond yields. But so, so bottom line is that, um, you know, Inflation, um, until we really, you know, seeing inflation come down is going to be very, very important in terms of the, uh, you know, the longer term story. And we do expect to start to see that uh, coming through in the second half of the year. Um, but um, with with the short rate rises still to come through, um, um, sort of three, three and a half could still be the range that 10 year yields get to. And we've seen in, in the UK here. You know, UK ten-year yields yields at sort of one point eight to two percent sort of range. Uh, it's perfectly feasible that they could uh, push above that range for the time being. So, the minute they do, they, they, well, they've moved from what I would call extremely uh, unattractive levels um, to less unattractive levels. Um, they're they're certainly not cheap uh, from a longer-term perspective. Um, but um, you know, what we're what we're certainly looking to do is as bond yields sort of take the next sort of leg uh, up in terms of yield terms, they, they do then start to offer some sort of, you know, comparative value relative to equities. And we would then start to expect to start to allocate a little bit more, as Asi was suggesting. So this plays out as we expect. Expect us to start to be moving along the yield curve and into longer date related maturities over the course of the next few months. Yeah, that, that's comprehensive, guys. Thanks uh, very much. And certainly makes an awful lot of sense. So one of the other knock-ons, I suppose, another driver uh, to, to markets is um, technology. Um, and, and some of the, the large tech names, whether it's Meta, whether it's Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, any of these names, you know, how do we expect those companies to fare uh, against the, the backdrop of a slowing economy? You know, certain client portfolios are well exposed to these stocks. I'm thinking, you know, responsible investment strategies, ethical, uh, sustainable, etc. So, you know, it's quite an important point. What, what's our view, John? Yeah, well, the, uh, you know, we've seen the effect, haven't we, of uh, rising bond yields uh, on, uh, you know, um, my, uh, and the sensitivity that, you um, um, High growth stocks have two rising bond yields. It's um, you know it's very very manifestly obvious that uh, it's very difficult to um, it's very difficult to continue to to push ahead strongly against uh, you know a rising rate environment. And uh, you know certainly as we know from the past, if uh, if if you're a, if you've been a very strong growth story, 
um, and your valuation is high, interest rates start to move. If if there's any disappointment in the figures, you know there's a very it's a very long way to fall. And we've seen that on a number of the uh, a number of the the darling stocks. And uh, it's quite remarkable to see the trace back of the fangs relative to the S and P over the course of the last twelve months or so. Um, and I think it's sort of back to levels of seen two, two to three years ago in terms of relative performance against the market. So, yes, as you say, um, it's, 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 it's had a very big impact on a number of portfolios. And I think you know, this is all part of the normalisation uh, point that um, as, as we roll over, as the economy slows, as valuations start to uh, trend back from extremely high valuations to more moderate valuations to the market across the market as a whole, you've got to expect some uh, consolidation, particularly in some of the growth stocks and the expectations. So, um, a large part of it, I think, has probably occurred, but certainly uh, the scope, uh, the scope for stock-specific shocks is there if people don't make the numbers, and you know that's the problem. If 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 you're a, if you're if you're a highly rated stock. You don't meet, meet meet the numbers. The lesson of history is very clear. Your your stock will get very hit very hard. So you know you have to make the sort of hitting the numbers is going to be the key. Those that hit the numbers will get rewarded. Those that don't will get will get dumped. Yes. No. Agreed. Agreed. Asib, anything further from you on on the large tech question? I think uh, large and the mid cap tech because um, a lot of these. Um, green energy or, or green theme stocks are um, on the mid side of things. And again, a lot of them are growth. Um, and as John said, that a lot of this was overvalued last year and uh, that valuation is now coming back to more normal levels. Um, but a lot of this is also dependent on the sentiment in the market. So general sentiment is also driving um, a lot of this uh, selling at this point. Uh, so it may not be fair value it may be under fair value now so we'll see how it pans out but yes that that definitely if in the last few years the the responsible or sri investing has done very well um and we've seen over the last three three uh, three months or so that 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 sort of um, has had a very deep retracement um is it over yet i don't think so i think um a lot of this capitalized capital which these large tech companies are sitting on will now probably find its way to newer green tech side of things, uh, where you've got um, the ROIs a lot higher in the future uh, than it is currently. So I think that's where probably that that capital will get used to buy probably the mid-cap companies which are out there in the market at a lot more uh, attractive value. Okay, all right. So let's move on to um, inflation and indeed QT. Uh, that's one topic we got very right. Um, so, John, particularly to you, this one, what, what are our views on the number of rate rises um, likely in US? OK, um, let's start with, uh, well, at the moment, uh, the market's sort of uh, chomping at the bit, isn't it? Um, uh, we've, we, you know, the, the Fed has got turned pretty hawkish, having been the behind the curve for such a substantial period of time. Um, it's trying to make up for lost ground, and uh, we're talking about a 50 basis point moving upward in May, June, July, um, and you know so on and so forth. If you look out across uh, what the what the forward market expects, um, you know rate rises uh, up to short of three percent by the end of next year are now factored in a number of rate rises. So there's been a, a dr dramatic shift in in, uh, in in expectations over the past month. 
I think, uh, you know, uh, just over six weeks ago, uh, the market was expecting rates to sort of move up to just short of two. It's now just short of three with inside six weeks. So there's been a very strong shift. The, I think the realities are headline inflation. Um, you know, a part of this has been in relation to obviously the, the headline inflation numbers that came out for March in the states of 8.5%. Clearly, um, you know, way above obviously the 2% central bank target. Um, what we've said for some time um, is that the year-on-year effects will start to start to moderate as we move through Q2. Um, and you will start to see, and we will start to see some improvement in terms of, you know, the headline rates trending a little bit lower out of the States as we move through Q2, purely because some of these year-on-year effects are falling out. I mean, car prices are no longer rising at the rapid year-on-year rates as they were previously. One of the things I think, Andrew, you've highlighted many times on your, your daily commentary. So, um and um, I think what we can expect to see is U.S. headline inflation in round about the three and a half to four percent range by the end of the year. Um, you know, um, I've, you know, a number of my former colleagues like Ed Yardenia, who I talk to quite regularly, sort of painting, pointing to that sort of a number, which I think is reasonable. And I think similarly, other, you know, investment banks pointing in that direction as well. So. I think we can start to see some moderation in inflation expectations. I think the other thing to bear in mind in terms of how many rate rises we're really going to get is, um, you know, what can the economy actually take as well? So if headline inflation does start to trend down as we move through Q2 into Q3 and Q4, um, you know, it's the speed at which the economy uh, can absorb rate rises that's going to be the issue. So it may well be that the markets move from one extreme to the other and we end up somewhere in between because um, it's our reading that the economy is going to be is already slowing down pretty rapidly. Um, and if you look at sort of, the, you know, the underlying trends in monetary growth, you know, they were extremely strong last year. And one of the reasons why we expected the momentum in the economy to remain robust into the early part of this year, monetary aggregates are now actually slowing, the growth in monetary aggregates has slowed down quite dramatically um, and would tend to suggest that actually a lot of the tightening, it, you know, is, is underway. And along with the fiscal tightening that's coming through and along with QT, um, I would expect to see um, expect to see the U.S. economy and uh, other economies slow down reasonably reasonably quickly into the second half of the year. We're not talking about recession yet um, um, for 2023, but certainly the risks have gone up. Um, so um, long answer to the question, but it's important because there's a number of components to how far interest rates go up. It's uh, it's not just you know what's currently built into the market. It's what can the market take when rates start to move up. And what will happen to real incomes as the squeeze comes through? So, do expect the economies to slow, and I think that may well temper some of the current thoughts on how how high rates will go, because I think we are moving into a bit of a sort of stagflationary sort of um, sort of phase, um, and certainly the risks um, to 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 world growth have, have pushed up. I mean. Let's look at the IMF. The IMF statement last week was that uh, they cut their world growth forecast for this year to 3.6 and 3.6 to next year. That shaved off almost 1% from growth growth rates for this year. Um, and they said the biggest threat to, um, you know, to, uh, to, 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 to the world was obviously, you know, the inf- inflation threat. So you know, there's no doubt that central banks can, will have to continue to lean into 
um, you know, the inflation uh, problem. And as we've also suggested, perhaps here in the UK more than anywhere else, um, you know, the wage scene is going to be the biggest issue to, you know, how how, how far interest rates are going to have to go up and how, how, how big eventually the dent to growth is going to be. Because if inflation gets embedded beyond, you know, two and a half to three percent because wage rates, you know, get ingrained at a higher rate, um, then, you know, we, we do move into a, a, a definitely a more difficult scenario. Um, and certainly some of the early signs are not, not particularly encouraging here in the UK. You know, we've, you know, employers are struggling to, to you know, to find uh, people um, and to fill, fulfill a number of the vacancies. Um, we also have threats of strike, as you know, a new summer of potential discontent on its way here in the UK with the RMT and other, other unions starting to flex their muscles. So it's sort of sh- not quite yet the 70s, but it's sort of shades of the 70s building up for those of us that were around at that time and can remember that vividly. Um, I'm sure a number of people um, you know, would have only read it on the textbooks, but uh, you know, there are shades of the 70s uh, floating around here and we need to be very, very cognizant of that. Um, so that there is a risk of policy overkill, uh, certainly both in the States and certainly here in the UK. Um, in terms of the rate rights and the growth growth expectations that come come from the back of them. No, absolutely. Yeah, thoughts of the 70s, goodness me. Um, so, Asim, this one for you. Um, China, um, an awful lot been happening. You know, COVID seems to be ever-present. There seems to be more bottlenecks. Uh, is the state supporting the economy or, or, or not? So- um, what do you think? So, 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 I mean, we've covered this in a few podcasts that this, the, the the Chinese PBOC uh, and especially the Chinese uh, CCP, um, they've got a target of five point five percent growth this year, and the the monetary policy has already seen a bit of a uh, accommodation there, and as we see that there's a lot more accommodation coming through for sectors, and um, the, the overnight rates are also being slashed. I think over the last two or three days. So there is a bit, a bit of a cushion in the in the monetary policy, which they are they're, they're definitely using now to support their economy. Um, now the COVID scene is definitely something which um, I think China is probably the only country now who's got these kind of uh, lockdowns in place, um, and that has an impact on the the shipping side of things and inflation, the inflation which is coming through the bottlenecks, supply bottlenecks. I mean, at the start of this year, we expected things to get back to normal, especially in the Western side of things and also in China uh, and the bottlenecks to ease before, uh, I think last year, towards the end of last year, it was more about the, the shipping capacity here in, on the Western shores. Now the problem is from, from the China side. Um, another thing which you must have noticed is, and, and something which we're, keep, we're keeping a very close eye on, um, is, is the commodity complex. So over the last few months, the commodity complex was uh, well bid. So uh, everything from oil, copper, nickel, everything was moving upwards. And a lot of it to do with the exogenous shocks uh, from, uh, from, from this conflict. But if you see now, these, these commodities are pretty much in backwardation. So you look at copper, copper near-term contracts are fine. But if you look at the uh, six, seven months or, or even towards 2025 contracts, they are in backwardation. So what that means, is that you have a bit of a inflation uh, or, or the cost push inflation um, from the commodities complex is coming a bit off. And that's on the back of what is happening in China and the expectation that there is a definite slowdown coming into China. 
Um, and if that happens, and obviously it, it is, as we can see, it is already there. Um, the monetary policy cushion is there and the PBOC is, is in, um, in position to help the economy. And again, if, you, if they are to achieve that 5.5% growth rate this year, they have to do a bit more than they, they are currently doing. So uh, what that means for Chinese equities and especially um, in, in the current scenario, the problem right now is that you've got two monetary policies. Um, you've got the, the Japanese and Chinese on one side that are into a bit more accommodative monetary policy. Um, and then you've got these monetary policy tightening uh, on, on the Western uh, central banks. Um, so in, in terms of equities, a lot of what is also happening is if you see uh, the flows, uh, as, as John mentioned earlier, the capital flows are out of this, this um, China slash Japan towards more towards the, the Western uh, um, bonds and Western um, equity side. Um, just to mention in there, if you have seen what has happened to Japanese yen uh, over the last few, uh, I think two months now, uh, Japanese yen has increased by around or depreciated by around 12% uh, in that point. So if you think about this, th th there is a definitely po policy divergence, but it's also to do with what is happening in terms of the flows coming out of Japan or coming out of China towards uh, towards the um, uh, more towards the, the US and, and France and, and the UK, especially. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so, so coming back to China, we expect two things to happen. One, the policy side of things to accommodate uh, the, their economy. Uh, and if they have to hit the 5.5% um, growth rate, uh, and also the reforms to some sort of uh, a stop to these reforms they've been doing for the last two, two years now. Uh, and what that means is that we may enter into a phase where the Chinese equities start becoming a lot more attractive. Yeah, okay. All right, guys, thank you. So final question then, um, it's the old stock market adage, settle in May and go away. Um, what do we think this time? Is that accurate, John? Yeah, that's a great one, isn't it? Um, well, we've sort of, we've, we've, Unusually, normally when you're talking about selling May and going away, you're trying to bank some nice profits. Um, and for a lot of people, uh, you know, this year it's it's been a it's been a tough going, hasn't it? So, uh, you know, there's been periods where the market's been up, but uh, they've been few and far between. So this year, year to date, it's been tough going. So this we've entered into, you know, we enter into May having coming off a, a very weak period. Uh, for the markets for the last few weeks. And it may well be that uh, we see a bit of a reaction rally here. Um, and if we do see a reaction rally, um, um, and we're keeping a close eye on the VIX because the VIX, you know, is indicative of put selling. And if the VIX rolls over and shows a bit of a, a, a sort of a head and shoulders here and rolls over, we can expect a little bit of a, a near-term rally, short-term in the market. Um, if we do see anything like that, then, you know, I think we've made our position quite clear. We're probably going to be taking a little bit more risk off the table. So it's not quite selling May, but maybe it's sort of uh, a little bit more housekeeping in May um, becomes what we're looking to do. Um, the, um, the backdrop for financial markets has certainly not improved over the course of the last uh, three to four months uh, with the situation in Ukraine, as I say, exacerbating both growth and inflation trends. Um, and of course, um, against that backdrop, I think I think you know while longer term, you know, with you know, bond equities are still the preferred asset class. 
um, bonds, given the declining, uh, declining bond prices and rising yields, have started to offer a little bit more attraction. So it's um, there'll be a bit more housekeeping for us to do, I think, in May as we move through. And we would take advantage of actually any 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 push up in May to do that housekeeping. Yeah, no, excellent. Um, Asim, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah, so along those lines, uh, early May, you've got FOMC meeting com coming through and usually you get a, a, um, a rally um, because of the expectations being met, i.e. 50 basis points, etc. So there is an expectation that you get a, a bit of a relief rally um, early, probably early May, and then things can go back to normal as they are for the last two or three months now. Um, and that's exactly what uh, we are looking at. And uh, as John mentioned, that we will be doing some housekeeping, some changes to asset allocation. Guys, thank you very much indeed. Performance remains good, by the way. So thank you so much for that. And, and thanks very much as ever for the comprehensive input um, to this podcast. Um, thanks a lot and see you again soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.